Dearly beloved, sometimes the tone of our voice speaks louder than the words that we use. When I listened to Vicar Brinker read our first reading, when he spoke the words of Peter, I sensed a great sorrow. Men, brothers, scriptures have to be fulfilled. He was numbered among us, and he has allotted his share in this ministry. Peter is speaking words into this gaping hole in their fellowship, trying to make sense out of this death. In three years of companionship, Judas had become more than just a fellow traveler with our Lord and the Twelve. He was a brother, a blood brother. And then he turned and shed innocent blood, as he himself confessed. Peter speaks these words into this hole, into this hurt in their community. The pain is real. Peter honors it by naming it. And then he does something remarkable. He makes sense of this step by pointing to another, the death of Jesus. This death also was filled, filled to overflowing with pain. But it did not end there. It ended in resurrection. From betrayal to resurrection, Peter uses this unexplainable loss to point forward to the future. One of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that Jesus went in and out with us, one of these men must become with us a witness to the resurrection. Something particularly important is happening when Peter stands and speaks. He speaks his own words, but he also speaks the words of David. And in doing so, he interprets scripture, making sense out of this chaos. In the midst of this disorder, he finds order. He finds Christ in this disaster. Because he and the ten and the 125 have become witnesses of the resurrection. They have hope even in the face of death. Peter speaks as Jesus spoke when he was among them. The witness speaks as the one he bears witness. This text is really all about witness and witnessing. And the role of witness is often confused and misunderstood in the contemporary church. Witness, or to give one's witness, commonly refers to, to my story or my new walk of faith. And stories are great. Stories are how our society shares identity and meaning. Stories detail the rites of passage that define our life. But there are at least two difficulties with what often passes as contemporary Christian witness. First, my story, or how I got saved, or how God worked this or that miracle in my life, can become the inadvertent standard. No matter what I may say to the contrary, the hearer judges their own experience of God, or lack thereof, by my story. Paul tells the dramatic story of the Damascus Road three times in the book of Acts, but he never expects it to be normative. Neither do we. But still, the temptation remains for our conversation partner to compare their life experience to my story, instead of looking for God's unique hand in their story. The second danger is even greater. My story is the one I know best, right? <laughs> and we can often speak with animation and captivating detail to the point that we never get to his story. Christian witness must finally be, speak about Christ. That is the greater story, God's story. What he has done in sending his son into the world to die in our place and to rise victorious on the third day. Christian witness equals resurrection witness. Ten years ago, 
I preached to you on this text, and I offered you a, a really bad negative example of how we can sometimes beat each over the head with the law in order to shame ourselves into Christian living. Well, that was then, and this is now. And this time, I'd like to share, I'd like to tell you about Timothy Johnson. He's a pastor in Maryland, and he writes, Earlier this summer, I took a few days and reread the book of Acts. And I was amazed at the boldness of the disciples as they shared their faith. The settings in which they did it were not quiet and serene, where they could wait for just the right moment, the right opportunity to speak about the resurrected Christ. They were often in crowds and in places where, you know, frankly, there was bubbling over with hostility towards them, yet they spoke up. I encountered this very situation at the airport as I was going to our denomination's annual meeting in June, along with everybody else moving toward the gate in order to catch a plane. I went to the security screening, and along with a number of other passengers, I was asked to stop so that a security scanner could look carefully at my carry-on bag. The screener politely asked me to step back and to resist the temptation to help him as he poked, unloaded, unzipped pockets felt around the lining of my bag. I noticed a ring on his right hand, a silver ring with a cross. I mentioned it, and he looked at me briefly. And then as he continued searching my bag, he said something like this, yeah, the ring, it means I'm a follower of Jesus. You know, in my job, one of the things we really worry about is dynamite. But do you know where that word comes from? It's actually from the Greek word dynamis. It means power. As a Christian, I know that all power belongs to God. That's why he sent his son, Jesus. So while I'm doing my job, I know that he is doing his job. That's where I put all of my trust. It belongs to him, and he's here with us. Well, Mr. Johnson, have a great trip, he said, as he moved on to the next customer. I walked away with a smile, thinking about how this man had so naturally risen to the opportunity to share his faith. It certainly wasn't the place for an extended conversation. There's a long line of people standing behind me waiting to get there. But in less than 30 seconds, he spoke about his faith to a total stranger, calmly, confidently, and without hesitation. In Luke's two-part account of God's powerful work, Luke adds, witness always contains two crucial elements. First, it's always a witness to the facts, historical facts. This is, after all, our common understanding, a legal understanding of what it means to be a witness, reinforced by far too many Hollywood courtroom scenes, right? <laughs> witness is called to the stand, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? You can actually date films whether it includes the so help me God part. <laughs> but with or without the prayer, we expect the witness to tell us what they have heard or seen, or lend some expertise for facts that have already been established. Poison lawyers are quick to strike speculation, guesswork, or unqualified opinions. The biblical standard for witness takes us back to Deuteronomy and the requirement for two witnesses that agree. No matter how reliable, without the second voice, the matter could not be settled. This responsibility was taken seriously. Deuteronomy 17, the hand of the witness says, shall be the first against him to put him to death with stones. So the witness says, laid their cloak at the feet of Saul as they picked up stones to kill Stephen. But if their witness was false, their own life was forfeit. This is the first element, truth. The second element in Luke Acts goes even further, focusing our attention on one special fact. 
and its meaning for our lives, indeed for all of creation, the fact of the resurrection. Restating Jesus' own self-witness from Matthew 7, the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, was certainly accurate. But doctors without borders have treated more patients than Jesus ever saw. Recounting that Jesus was unjustly tried and put to death in a horrific fashion is not enough either. He was neither the first nor the last to suffer such a fate by the voice of false witnesses. What counts as the witness in Luke's recounting is resurrection witness. That Jesus rose from the dead on the third day never to die again. There are others in the biblical record who rose from the dead. Elijah and Elisha both performed such miracles. Jesus raised Jairus' daughter and the young man of name, but all of these died again, but not Christ. Paul confidently declares, we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. That resurrection is the crucial element in our witness. It is the truth of Jesus' claim to be the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. The resurrection witness is our guarantee of salvation empty tomb declares, you are reconciled. The sin that separated you from God is no more. In his first letter to the Corinthians, Paul argues with those who doubt the resurrection. First, negatively, if Christ had not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. But then positively, three verses later, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Of this and of this resurrection, and all that it entailed, the lot fell to Matthias. To be a witness, to complete the apostolic witness, to be a resurrection witness. 2,000 years later, it's, it's a little difficult to capture the impact of that first resurrection witness. From the moment in the garden, when Peter was told, put your sword back into its place, the experience of the apostolic witness was utter defeat. They completely failed their Lord, Matthias included. They witnessed to the Lord with their feet. They ran. They witnessed to their Lord with their mouths. I don't know the man. Surely, Zechariah prophesied, strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But with the resurrection, there was forgiveness. The first words of the resurrected Lord in the locked upper room was what? Peace. Peace be with you. You are forgiven that you might forgive in my name. And for the next 40 days, Jesus established them in that resurrection witness. The apostolic witness ended with the first century. But the resurrection witness continues. It is passed on, it is passed down through the church. We hear Matthias' words in St. Paul. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses, our trespasses, against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Reconciliation witness. We heard it again this morning, as we confessed. We confessed our what, wavering trust, our participation in evil, our, our divisive actions in our homes and in our church. We heard it as Christ responded to our confession, not with my words, but with his. 
in the stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ. I forgive you all of your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Resurrection words. Resurrection witness. We heard them. And in a few moments, we will eat and drink the resurrection witness. The bread and wine, the very resurrected body and blood of our Lord, our risen Lord, given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. With those words, we are resurrected from sin to witness. Resurrection witness. Resurrection witness is not based, it's not grounded in me. It's grounded in fact. It's grounded in history. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were the first historical records to Jesus. He lived among us, he ministered to thousands, he taught his followers, and what did he claim? That he is God in human flesh. Literally, hundreds before him and after him made the same claim. Jesus died with, along with all of them. But only Jesus rose from the dead. Resurrection witness. So what will you do with the empty tomb? Everyone with motive and opportunity failed to give an account. Only the apostolic witness, the resurrection witness, fully accounts for Easter. Jesus is the first fruit from the grave to guarantee that you are forgiven, that you too will rise. Jesus calls you to resurrection witness. Amen. Now may the peace which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus to life everlasting.